Thank you so much for being here today. We have three wonderful experts on an incredibly important topic around maternal care and maternal health equity and where we are and where we're going. Dr. Gennon, Dr. Bicey, and Dr. Billis here. And it'd be wonderful if each of you could give us a quick introduction uh, about uh, your professional experience, the organization you're with, and then we'll get into a wonderful conversation. Dr. Gennon, would you please start? Happy to. So I am trained as a neonatologist, which means I take care of very tiny sick babies as well as big sick babies. And I am now the chief medical officer of Progeny Health. Our company is focused on maternal infant care. We do case management and utilization management in the NICU space, as well as payment integrity. And we also do case management in the maternity space. Thank you. Dr. Billis? Hi, good evening, good afternoon, I should say. Um, I'm Lori Billis. I am a board certified OBGYN. I currently work at Health Alliance Plan, which is an insurance company in Detroit area of Michigan. I'm a medical director serving there and currently just um, transitioned to a role at Healthcare Source following the market medical director role serving our Medicaid population in Michigan. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Dr. Bicey. Yeah, hello everyone. My name is Dr. Mary Lou Bicey. I'm a pediatrician and a clinical geneticist by training. And I'm currently the chief medical officer at Community Health Choice, which is a health plan in Houston, Texas. We have just under a half a million members, mostly in Medicaid, as well as the marketplace and a small uh, Medicare plan. So I'm very happy to be here today. So I'd like to start off from each of your perspectives. I, I think there was a headline last week about infant mortality and the increase in the rates. And here we stand in 2023 and we spend a tremendous amount of money in our system. And I think there's you know plenty of risks that are happening and continue to happen. And, and just a general perspective from where each of you sits on the state of maternal care uh, and, and infant mortality, uh, you know, as a precursor to how we then delve into each of your individual perspectives. Um, and Dr. Gillis, I'd, I'd like to start with you, if you could just share your perspective on where we are as a nation on this incredibly important issue. Um, yeah, it's a, it is it is very important. And I mean, obviously, when you're looking at infant mortality, it's all going to stem from care to the mom, right? So the maternal portion and getting moms into care, engaging in their care, finding those importance, assessing all those risks and medical concerns, social determinants of health, all that's going to be important because it's all going to relay into a better maternal outcome, which hopefully will then lead to a better fetal outcome. And really addressing those things I think are important. Yes. Dr. Ginnon, how, how are you, you've, you and Progeny have been at this for some time on many different levels. And um, I think for those who may be in the industry and maybe even for those that haven't, you know, you read a headline like infant mortality rising and what are people to make of that? You know, is it, is it surprising? Is it not surprising as we unpack this issue a little further? It was upsetting. I would say uh, the U S infant mortality rose 3%. It's the largest increase in two decades. Right. And 
it so it was uh, I think it was 5.6 infants. 5.6 infant deaths per 1,000 live births in 2022, up from 5.44. So what was surprising, though, is what is the cause? And so there's a larger increase in maternal causes. So in infant mortality, one of the top reasons is congenital anomalies, which we know um, is obviously concerning and not always avoidable. However, the two big increases this time were maternal complications and bacterial meningitis. And those do point back to access to care, prenatal care for mom. And we're in a situation in America where we know we spend so much money in healthcare and we have some of the worst infant mortality rates and maternal mortality rates among developed countries. So this is playing out in our data that we're seeing. And if you think about it, data is always a little behind, right? We're almost done with 2023 and we're really just analyzing 2022. So I think many of us in the field are concerned about what does 2023 look like given all the news we've seen about OB deserts over the last couple of years just getting worse. So um, very concerning and uh, certainly something that we're, we're keeping in mind. Um, there were four states that had significant increases. I think it's Georgia, Iowa, Missouri, and Texas. And Nevada was one of the states that had actually a decrease. So certainly the South and some of the Midwest are affected. Mm -hmm. Dr. Bicey, from your career and, and where we stand today, what are your thoughts on uh, the state of uh, maternal health and infant mortality? Yeah, thank you. I work in Houston, Texas, where we have some of the highest, not only maternal morbidity, but as Dr. Gannon said, some increases in infant mortality as well. Very, very concerning. We need to figure out what we need to do differently to address it. It's a very serious issue, particularly from my organization, Community Health Choice, because we're largely a Medicaid plan. Uh, taking care of mothers and babies primarily. So those are our members, and we uh, are looking at a number of ways to better understand the issue and then address it. But it's a very, very serious issue, and Texas is one of the biggest impacted states in the country. Yes. So, Dr. Bison, can you share some insights on how community health choice is addressing disparities in maternal uh, care? Yes, thank you. That's an excellent question. We do find that minority women, and in particular black women, have much higher maternal morbidity than uh, Caucasian women do. Uh, other minorities are also affected, but black um, maternal health is a very, very serious concern. And uh, we need to understand some of the root causes for this disparity. Um, certainly, um, we have to look at things like non-medical drivers of health. We have to look at trust, uh, systemic racism, and any other influences that might um, disproportionately affect uh, Black maternal health. So we have a problem overall for all maternal care, and we have almost a crisis in Black maternal health. Yes, thank you. Dr. Billis, considering your role in the Alliance Plan, 
which is fostering collabor you know, collaboration amongst many different key partners, right? Providers, insurers, and patients. Um, how do we help drive overall improvements and overall health and outcomes in maternal care? It's a big question, but you know, if we think about ways to, that everyone can get better tomorrow, collaboration amongst these stakeholders can be very difficult. And you sit at that really important intersection. What have you seen uh, that has worked and, and what other areas of innovation are you looking for? So a few points I've seen that have worked. Um, one, working with HAP, we have a great alliance with some other network providers and Henry Ford. And I think that pair provider alliance is important. You align those goals, your success measures, your standardized risk assessments. And I think that all trickles down and influences you know, your patient care. Um, this is gonna improve your provider and patient experience, address those health disparities, with these risk assessments that the STOHs or those social drivers of health can be addressed. And then hopefully, as I said before, trickle down into that improved maternal outcome lower costs of care. So we are fortunate that we do have that great alignment with Henry Ford and we see a lot of that go on. I think though another large important part is being part of a payer and having that OB history is a very robust maternity management program, a case management program within the insurer to really uh, engage that member in their care. And we are fortunate actually to partner with Progeny Health and develop a case management program a few years back. And it's nice because it gives that collaboration of your provider, your OB provider, your case manager, and your pregnant mom, and allows that communication back and forth, really addressing their care, engaging that member. The member can, you know, reach out to her case manager, different modalities to really look at risks along the way during the pregnancy via digital, telephonic, you know, through a digital app. And those risks can be assessed, right, and answered. And information can be relayed back to a provider. So you're really getting that whole nice safety net under mom. And one really nice thing about this program that Hap and Progeny developed was the extension it lands into the fourth trimester. As an OB provider, I always thought this was such a forgotten time, right? We delivered the baby. Go to the pediatrician now, you know, you have baby questions. And it's such a time still where we know there's a lot of maternal morbidity and mortality that exists through that first year postpartum. And so having that engagement still with the member and having that connection with their case manager, really it opens up to keep her engaged. Go to your OB appointments to get those medical conditions or anything identified through their labor and delivery or the end of pregnancy checked, you know, assess for postpartum depression, postpartum blues, you know, is there breastfeeding issues, provide education on birth control, on childhood immunizations. It kind of continues that maternal continuum, right? That would improve maternal and infant health down the way. So I've seen that and I really like the results and I'm really proud of that program that was put together and helping their moms. And that's very, very helpful. Dr. Ginn and Dr. Billis just talked about some of that partnership you've built. Um, and you referenced earlier uh, maternal deserts, and I think that's both um, from a geographic perspective, but also number of providers. Uh, and, and this really creates an access challenge. Can you talk about how you've been using technology um, to support that and also data, right? Because I think in healthcare, we've gotten to the point we're collecting more data, but as I 
often joke, some people say, we have to stop admiring the problem. At least we know what the data says, but how do we act on that data now? And how do we do something about that data? And, you know, during this prenatal, perinatal, and, you know, postnatal, postpartum period, how you're using technology, data, and insights to change the way you reach folks and more holistically, you know, care for, for mother and child? Love this question because I'm such a data junkie, so it's right up my alley. So thank you. I uh, we we like to say in a lot of programs you'll hear the phrase high tech, high touch. We flip that. We say high touch, high tech. So we use data, but we're also really about that warm connection that's occurring, as Dr. Bill has pointed out, with the case manager, lactation consultant, social worker, wrapping all those people around mom, as well as utilizing an app, a digital app to engage with mom. So that that woman who's learning about the pregnancy program, the maternity program, for example, is right away outreaching through an app. She's customizing her own journey as she puts in certain issues or conditions that she has, and then that's gonna feed her different information just for her. So someone with gestational diabetes will get more information about gestational diabetes, all with the goal of empowering her as she goes in to see her care provider, which might be a doula, a midwife, an obstetrician, right? As women are going into their appointments, we know that the famous phrase, knowledge is power, they're getting that information on the app and they can outreach to their case manager as well and ask questions. And so we're trying very hard to educate women so that they're walking in and not surprised with what each visit will entail. And when they're prepared for that visit, they can ask questions and advocate for themselves as well, which is very important. The other aspect of pregnancy is how do you find people, right? How do you identify someone who's pregnant very early on because we know in the literature that the sooner you're enrolled in a program such as progeny's maternity care management program the sooner you're getting support the better the outcome for you and the baby and so that's key so the app also helps identify women earlier and we're able to engage and then our case managers are using technology with a proprietary platform and that's feeding information that then a social worker can look at a medical director and give those insights back to the health plan as well. So they can look and say, okay, we have a certain number of women who need smoking sensation referrals, for example, we need to build those programs. So we're using the information from that app, from our platform to help give insights back. We are able to see um, certain areas where OB providers we can see a pattern where someone's having difficulty getting postpartum care. That's, that's a very big issue, actually. You get one postpartum visit, right? And it's hard to schedule it. So our team is actually warm scheduling, meaning the woman's reaching out and saying, oh, I haven't had that appointment yet. I can't schedule it. I'm overwhelmed. So we're working to help her get scheduled right then and there. While she's on the phone, we're calling the provider and making the appointment as a three-person call, essentially. And we do that quite a bit. We've identified women um, through depression screening who need care right then. We can't just say, here's, here's a number, call the therapist. 
we will do it right then and there, especially when you have such a high score on the Edinburgh screening, it, it just wouldn't feel good to just hang up and say, here's a number. So we're doing that warm transfer. So it's really high touch quite a bit and high tech. Thank you. This is a question for Dr. Billis and Dr. Bicey. And Dr. Bicey, I'll start with you. Um, Dr. Gennon just talked about technology and, of course, high touch and high tech. I think in the last three and a half years, obviously, with COVID, the way we've delivered care has expanded in ways that perhaps we didn't think uh, maybe was would happen as, as fast. And, and how have you seen, Dr. Bicey, starting with you, the role of hybrid care, uh, digital health, uh, telemedicine, telehealth influence the work you do and, and how you think about maternal care and care for the infant? Great question. And uh, we too at Community Health Choice work with Progeny. We've been able to expand our coverage of care management uh, to the most vulnerable members, almost threefold since we started working with Progeny. And I'm very uh, happy to talk to you about technology because the app that again and talked about, we find that almost 15% of our referrals to care management come directly from the mother through the app. And so the mother is customized and reaching out through the app, which is a co-branded app. And I think this is a great way to particularly to appeal to younger women who grew up with uh, using technology and are very comfortable with it. And so I think this is a great start. I also believe that, you know, as we did more virtual visits during the pandemic, although regulations have been scaled back on those, we're not having the freedom to do them the way we did before. But I do hope that telemedicine and virtual visits, particularly in areas where there are deserts, um, we can uh, between using remote monitoring, which is actually using, let's say, a blood pressure cuff and the, the actual reading goes into the doctor's computer or doctor's phone uh, while the doctor's talking to the pregnant woman, saving the mother uh, time and traveling and the convenience and the privacy of doing a visit right in her own home. So I do look at technology as a boon. And I think as we get more uh, adept at using AI in a way that is non, uh, as has taken the biases out of it, because AI does have some issues with inherent biases, that uh, we can use that again to make better connections, particularly to women with rising risk or potentially high-risk women. So I do think technology is going to be very important, not just in terms of the technology we use for visits, the technology we use to overcome a lack of access, whether it be due to terrible transportation or scheduling problems, or um, data that, um, you know, again, Progeny has an amazing amount of data, and we're thrilled to get the data they're sharing with us. But we also think that that data can be built upon to do even finer and finer uh, assessments of where risks are and where we need to put extra effort. Yeah, that's wonderful. Dr. Billis, same question to you about the, the role of technology uh, in care and hybrid care models that we've seen continuing to evolve. How do you view this uh, in your organization? 
Well, I think they, I think they've spoke brilliantly, my colleagues here, about all that. And I really don't have a lot more to add to their comments, except I think it it just really provides you to meet that mom where she's at at that time and keep them, as they said, engaged in care and ask those questions and assess things if they can't get to the office. That virtual option is awesome, you know, is amazing to use. And, you know, in that visit, if it is something that needs to be escalated or they need to get somewhere, that information at least can be provided, that advice and those recommendations made. And then, um, you know, just improving, as they said, access to care, you know, in those rural areas in Michigan where OB providers or, you know, certified midwives, everything is decreasing. that it does make it difficult to have that access and you don't, you know, you want to continue that better maternal care. So I think it just adds into all that and all the additional information they provided too. One of the things I've noticed over the years in the the organizations on the payer provider and technology side was sometimes virtual care or telemedicine might be good for the patient, but not as useful in terms of a workflow or data flow for a provider. Have you been able to bring satisfaction both to the provider and the patient in these models? Um, We've certainly seen that it really matters when it's good for the provider and good for the patient. You'll probably get more adoption of these kinds of solutions. And I think the providers can sometimes be overlooked because there's so many What's the right word? It's not easy to practice medicine. And I don't practice. I I speak as an observer and my wife's a clinician. but, you know, humbly, how do you see this working for providers just as much as it's working for the mother? And how important is that? Uh, maybe, Dr. Billis, if you want to sure. start first. I mean, I think it's important. And, and I haven't practiced in a few years, so I didn't practice through COVID. But then speaking with some of my colleagues, I think one of the ways they did adapt to that in their office to make it flow well is have somebody on virtual visits, you know, so you weren't running into patient rooms and have somebody waiting. So, you know, it kind of made it more consistent and someone would be in charge of the, you know, take care of all those virtual visits and maybe follow up on the lab works and phone calls and stuff of that's what were someone else was seeing patients who actually presented in the office and, um, you know, we're having direct face-to-face contact. Dr. Gannon, how have you seen, that from the perspective of the providers, I, I think you, the progeny might have the largest number of neonatologists uh, doing the kind of work you do. I, I don't know that that's true, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but I know it's a large number of them. Yeah, I think we're up there. Um, I I think that, so I, I think providers in both fields, right, in maternal care as well as in the NICU and, and somewhat different and the same. Um, NICU, we are not outpatient, right? We are in the ICU, so a little different from that aspect. Um, What we are doing from a NICU standpoint is we are a liaison for the provider. So providers trying to get coverage, for example, for a unique formula, we can help facilitate. Or baby needs to go home with durable medical equipment, we're able to make sure that that's happening in a timely manner so that that baby goes home safely, families taught how to use the equipment they need at home. One provider needs to transfer a baby, for example, for a procedure somewhere. So we're working with them and we're doing a lot of our neonatologists are talking to their neonatologists at the facilities and having conversations that are collegial and educational. So it's really, that's been very nice. And then from the OB side, I think 
that we still have a lot of work to do as in, as a health as health plans, having come from a health plan previously, and being in a, at a vendor role, we have a lot more work to do to include the provider in that continuum of or that circle of communication between the patient, the provider, the health plan, right? And we're we're doing that as much as we can. The when we hear about or learn something about a patient that we think is very important for the provider to know we're reaching out and calling the office and talking to the front staff and saying, look, here we've gleaned this information. We think this is very important for her care. Those are the kind of conversations we're having in addition to helping facilitate appointments. So I think it's very challenging to be a provider in this day and age. Um, and I, I know that anything we can do to help take some things off of their plate, because they're as you think about the maternity journey, it's not, it's 20% clinical and 80% all the other things, the so social determinants of health, um, getting access to transportation, the simple things like a breast pump that many health plans provide, right? Or a car seat, we're helping maneuver that for the mom. And so it's unrealistic to expect that in that 15 to 20 minute visit, the provider can do it all. I, I think that's very challenging, especially when they're running back and forth from a hospital and handling office visits as well. So we're trying to close that gap, but I know we collectively, the collective we, the royal we can do better. Dr. Bicey, anything to add to that around the provider and their experience? No, I think that that is a very good summary of the state right now of providers. I wanna ask a question about, you know, I think it's, um, spoken and unspoken that the friction between payer provider patient and, and oftentimes between provider and patient or a health plan uh, and patient is very challenging and we see this in the news constantly you know uh, about prior Ross and all the challenges that exist but it feels as if the work that collectively each of you is doing is helping build trust and break down that walls um, can you talk about what's right? about these kinds of partnerships and, and how others should look forward to building that truck trust as you all are between health plans and providers and the patients. There's so much at stake here at the beginning of life, um, you know, for all the constituents. And I think it's really important. It's easy to point out the challenges in this, but I think we need to hear more about what's working. And, and so Dr. Bicey and Dr. Billis, what, from your perspective and Linda, from your prior world and the world you sit in now, um, I want I want each of you to share maybe some some light and beacon uh, be the beacon of hope for what's right and what's working and and how we can continue to make those worlds come together. I'll start with whoever would like to go first. Oh, I, I would like to address this. Thank you so much. In terms of the provider, I, I would like to just take a little different lens and say I, I look at a three prong approach to make a difference in maternal health. One is what the health plans are doing, and we've done that through our partnership with Progeny because we're never going to make it have different outcomes if we don't do things differently. And the second prong that we're using is providers. And I'll talk about that a little more. And the third prong, if we get a chance to talk about it, is community outreach and, and uh, working with community organizations. In terms of providers, which is the question you asked me, I, I want to give you some examples of what we're doing. We have arrangements called accountable care organizations or value-based care, which are special contracts of plan and providers have. 
where they share savings. So if a provider becomes more efficient and is saving uh, dollars, then uh, we share that. However, what we have done to make better outcomes here is we've asked our provider groups, and these are generally very large groups, that are sharing the risk of the financial risk that they meet certain quality standards. And, and the quality standards we're asking them to meet include uh, having more women have their prenatal care, having more women have postnatal visits. And unless they meet a certain standard of quality, they don't get to share any savings. So that's, I think, one way to draw attention to the issues of maternal health, improve outcomes, because we know having better prenatal and postnatal care, having more visits, is a, a path to improving outcomes. The other thing we're doing with providers is we have a very close relationship here in Houston with an organization called Harris Health. We both are part of the Harris County um, Health System. And uh, we have uh, multiple um, collaborations with them to improve maternal health uh, because of our focus on it. And that includes working with um, to have uh, standard order sets so that there's consistency no matter how old the woman is, no matter what her state is, that she gets screened for all the same things, that everything's checked at the same time. So it's these types of collaborations that build trust that shows that we have common goals of better patient and member outcomes. Dr. Billis, we've um, learned a little bit about uh, Henry Ford before. You have just really integrated thinking and even with employers, right? And the approach and the kind of uh, maybe beyond traditional thinking in terms of how people access care and the amount of care you allow them to access. It seems very forward and maybe forward meaning like the way it should be right, for everyone else? Are there elements of how you have built the model that you just have seen work really well that, that others can be thinking about in terms, of, in terms of how it makes it better for everybody? Well, I mean, I think it makes it better for everyone. Henry Ford is very involved with the community. And I think when you're a health plan and you have that alignment with a health system, it just opens so many more doors to programs and support and, you know, different things you can get your members into and get them involved in and find that support. Um, in addition to, you have your whole network of providers and specialties. And it's been, it's been amazing working on my side, coming from the clinical side and coming to the health insurance side, the payer side, seeing really what is available out there and how we really can help our members who, you know, carry that. And Henry Ford provides a huge network of their extension, the communities, all their you know, benefits they provide for all the members and using those. Yeah, that was wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Billis. That was really helpful. Dr. Gannon, uh, from, from your perspective, uh, how would you, how do you think through that? So I, I, because I love data, right? I think we are looking at better ways we can share our data between the provider, the health plan, and what's happening with the member because that will give us more insights as to what's going on and that therefore it'll help, for example, in determining the kind of contract you need for value-based care. You need to understand what is the population you're serving as you go forward to make those agreements with the clinician so that then the clinician will focus on adhering to the guidelines that are set up that will ultimately help the member because you're enforcing evidence-based care. 
And so it is a win-win situation, but you need that data to determine how to do that contracting, that value-based contracting. And it's one thing to look at um, the nation as a whole, but as both Dr. Bicey and Dr. Billis know, they're, they're regional, they're looking at what's going on in their region and then diving in further into different counties, for example. And so just Texas is a very big state Different counties have different needs, just like Michigan as well. And so I think it's very important for us to determine what does that provider in that particular area of that particular state need? And same for how do we engender that population in trusting the healthcare system? So we've got so many different moving parts, quite honestly, and how do we get that together? I do think data is key. And also believe that we're in a we're in a very pivotal moment right now and it seems that no conversation is complete without artificial intelligence right now so how do we leverage that and haven't figured that out yet but it's really something we're starting to look at in in identifying women for example determining their high risk we are able to figure out who's at high risk for the most part however we're not able to predict High risk. So someone who presents with no issues in pregnancy, and then suddenly at some point, and Dr. Bills will remember this from labor and delivery, suddenly that woman who was fine, fine, fine at 34 weeks presents with preeclampsia, and I'm doing a consult on why we're going to deliver her early and her baby will end up in the NICU. So we're not there yet, and we have to get there, and we have to work with our facilities, with our health plans, and get trust all around. Trust from the provider who's not very trusting of health plans and trust from our patients who sometimes are in situations where they haven't felt welcome by the healthcare system. Yeah, very helpful. I want to end on a really, uh, this has all been an important discussion, but maybe part of it that's even uh, increasingly more pivotal and that's mental health and maternal care. And, and that connection, I think, in our society, we're continuing to get better at, at mental health and physical health. But as it specifically relates to maternal care, um, maybe share some thoughts about how your organization th think about that and, and how we might think about it differently uh, for folks listening. Um, so mental health and maternal care. And, and I'll, Dr. Dr. Bicey, if you want to go first. Yeah, thank you. So mental health or behavioral health is a very important component of a holistic approach to healthcare in general. And community health choices totally integrated behavioral health into its medical source so that we have full understanding and full sharing of data information and that there's no barriers to care. We are fully compliant with mental health parity, so there are no barriers to care. We recognize that maternal health does have some issues with, uh, uh, with uh, behavioral health. And we do think it is compounded uh, by non-medical uh, drivers of health, formerly known as social determinants of health. And so food anxiety, transportation issues, all uh, compound to put more pressure on uh, maternal health and particularly the behavioral health aspects of it because the mind and body are connected, totally connected. And we have to make sure that we address those. And by making sure that the non-medical drivers of health as well as the behavioral and physical health 
are all integrated into a holistic approach to the member or the patient is really key to changing outcomes and having better care and, and better, uh, healthier mothers and babies. Yeah, thank you so much. Dr. Dillon or Dr. Bills? Sure. So it's been surprising to me to learn as we rolled out and developed the maternity program with HAP and Dr. Billis, it's been surprising to see how much behavioral health is affecting maternal health. And I knew it, we knew it, but read the literature about it. But as we started actually caring and providing support, almost everyone, almost everyone has a need which was fascinating to me in some form or another. And the network is never enough, right? That's part of the issue. It's very hard to always get care in a timely manner. The other thing that's very important is you can talk to a woman four times and she won't be honest with herself or with you until maybe that fifth conversation. So building that, our case managers are building this trusted relationship with her so that she's opening up and sharing. So when you have that first conversation, you may not feel very comfortable right away saying, look, I'm having these feelings, these dark feelings, or something isn't quite right. Through the relationship that's built up, you form trust and suddenly women are sharing much more because we are very good at hiding and functioning because we have to take care of work or family. So we just keep going. And that's what a lot of the literature shows is that Women can, you can have a woman sitting right in front of you smiling, but she's suffering from great depression and hasn't been able to open up. So I think I know what Progeny is doing with our maternity care program is really breaking down those barriers and the cultural barriers around behavioral health too, because there are certain cultural aspects where it's such a stigma for that person to seek care. And that's also a very big issue where we've had to help someone hide that they need the care because they literally would be shunned by their family. Dr. Billis, anything to add on on the uh, mental health and maternity care side? What they just said, I completely agree. And even adding to Dr. Gannon's comments, especially with the maternity program, having the digital app and having that anonymous or that opportunity to check that box that you have that problem because of the stigma, because of just the difficulty or, you know, to say you're having problems, so you're not happy or you don't want this pregnancy, you know, as you sit in a waiting room with all these women who want their pregnancies are happy and have all these items and you're sitting there in a little bit of despair and you don't want to tell your provider. So I love that maternity program with that digital app because it gives that opportunity. You can check that. It goes to the case manager. You have that trust with her. Right. And then they're able to then come around and circle you with resources and address that and really help, you know, address those mental health concerns and behaviors and hopefully improve their situation. Well, wonderful. This has been amazing. Uh, I think we've had so many great insights here and I'm, I'm grateful for each of you sharing from the different perspectives. And, you know, it's really amazing to hear from their partners on, on such critical work. So thank you, everybody. Oh,